Strap on your shield, grip your sword tightly, and fly off on a Pegasus to adventure this week as we examine a modern take on a mythical tale. This is Kaiju vs. History, Clash of the Titans. Welcome back to Kaiju vs. History. This is your scorned god meddling in the affairs of man, Miles. And joining me is a golden merchandising opportunity with wings, Patrick. Patrick, how are you doing this week? <laughs> I'm I'm this movie's R2-D2. <laughs> Beep boop. <laughs> I'm doing pretty well. How about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing good. You know, I gotta say, I, I understand in terms of connections, and I wanted to bring this up at the top of the show. Oh. But I also kind of am curious as to why we're watching Clash of the Titans this week. Um, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. it's. I was thinking about it while I was watching the movie because you know technically you know th- these are based on Greek myths, or, or which was at one point part of Greek religion, and there are certainly plenty of fantastical creatures and monsters of varying size that appear throughout Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. And I know that there is a lot of shared dna behind the scenes with monster movies and clash the titans but what what made you decide to to actively put clash the titans on this on on our watch list so i think it's important that as we head out of the 60s and 70s we realize that indeed there's going to be a lot of hollywood trying to dip their toes into these kind of big spectacle films finally hollywood kind of gets off his butt in the (laughs) 80s and 90s and will throw some money towards spectacles and special effects like is required in this kind of film but i mean it's right there in the title this film is about titans clashing titans is what they they, kind of it's what they the the title certainly says so (laughs) It's what they went with to describe Kaiju in the legendary Godzilla films is they they called them Titans. Titans. Mm -hmm. And we haven't done some of the other seafaring adventurer sword and sorcery kind of films before this. Like I think Jason on the Argonauts was on like the Kaiju related and we don't typically do dragon films uh dragons dinosaurs not on the kaiju list i i I clearly i watched class of the titans as a kid Mm -hmm. um it came on tv all the time but i feel like it was the one i watched the least i feel like i watched jason the argonauts a lot more yeah you know and i got them confused i was like well which is the one with the skeleton words and that that was right a lot earlier than this i i do remember how earlier it was to be honest oh, oh yeah I do like remember almost 20 years <laughs> Medusa and some of the other monsters. I didn't remember the <laughs> the Kraken itself, the the, the no, monster we're here I, to talk about. There, there is so much I didn't remember. And there. Yeah, we haven't done. And it's interesting because for, for a long time, I mean, these movies were always kind of a hit or miss thing with Hollywood because for every what started off as like biblical or kind of Roman time epics. For every Ben Hur you had, you had Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. You know, like you had they they weren't sure things, even though like they they became popular with you know Heston's stuff and like the Ten Commandments. But like some of these epics really didn't didn't work. So 
I can see why they that some of the studios were reticent to dip their toes because they were a lot of those guys were still following formula or trends, watching stuff that takes place during the, these eras. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know they're fictionalized, but still watching the conversations that are had about film. I mean, Paramount Plus is the offer recently, like how The Godfather was such a a not a controversial in the way we we typically think about it, but like the idea of doing a film like that that wasn't following just a typical gangster action film. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that was that's what caused the ruckus. I mean, there was the other socio political stuff attached to it too, but in terms of what the studios were talking about. I mean, it was, it's really interesting to see like what goes behind what some of these films, what goes behind the decision-making of getting some of these films made or not made. And I, 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 I feel like, you know, by the 1980s and especially in a post star Wars world, everyone's kind of looking for that next big epic. And, and eighties had its, its real fair share of giant fantasy films. This one was kind of prototypical because it comes in right before your Conans and and things like that, which really kind of ignited that world. But this is a this is, I would say, a classic monster movie. It is very similar to your Voyage of Sinbad, 1962's Jason the Argonauts. But yeah, all, all three, including this film's. You've got the master craftsman and stop motion animator Ray Harryhausen at the helm for special effects and the, mm-hmm. the stop motion, really majest- majesty that we see in this film. And the Kraken is great, and we'll talk about the special effects of the destruction. But it, it's really those other monsters that that super shine in in this film, which uh, some the, of which the non daikaiju, <laughs> yeah, the, the regular kaiju in in Japanese terms, but. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I really wanted to add this on here to, well, one to just show the the crazy difference between 1980, 1980s Gamera Super Monster last week's movie and then like a million times the budget. <laughs> for, well, well, well uh, with, with actual like, original footage. <laughs> yeah. Keep that in mind. <laughs> yeah. That, that too. It is a little bit of a whiplash, but I. I thought it was important. And, you know, they remade these this film in the 2000s or 2010s. Yeah, with I didn't see either of those. I guess oh. I will uh, with, with this show. Oh, but, like, yes, yes, yes. Of I, course. All I know is like um, 2010 and release the Kraken became like a meme for pooping. <laughs> release the Kraken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll we'll talk about this and. You know, th- this did have, I think, a bit of homage that it was paying to not only the classic fantasy epics, but also there there is some of the art form of kaiju filmmaking in, in this this movie, or, or perhaps, you know, because of his connection to it. King Kong, Ray Harryhausen, said he was really inspired to make movies because he saw King Kong as a child. And then went on and, and worked on the Mighty Joe Young team and, of course, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, which inspired <laughs> Godzilla. So it's it's all kind of wrapped up together. But I feel like this one is him kind of going back to those kaiju, daikaiju roots. I mean, 
it certainly feels like a, a Harryhausen signature. Like when we think of Ray Harryhausen these days, it's usually because of stuff like Clash of the Titans or Sinbad or, mm-hmm. you know, that the, the sword and sorcery stuff that he he did. But before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of this week's film, Patrick, tell us what is in a title? Yeah. So I don't know actually where the original title came from. It just seems like, I mean, it seems as classic as a Star Wars, you know, clash yeah, right. of the Titans. Right. Uh, but for, for the most part, that's that's what it was known as worldwide. There were some odd translations here or there because you know, that's the other cool thing about these Hollywood films is they really do open up across the entire world. So you're, you're going to see almost every major <laughs> language and country in the world kind of, you know, if you type in the, the movie's name, the Hollywood movies blockbuster name, and then a, a country and a poster, you're going to see some probably original artwork or some, some interesting takes on, on the film's art mm-hmm. in, in Brazil. It was known as fury of the Titans, Finland, both battle and war of the gods, the Japanese title directly translated, I think, to battle of the Titans and in Taiwan. Taiwan had a couple of interesting titles, but century gods list was an alternative title, but also gods and enemies. It's a fairly generic, like I said, title, but indeed the 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 Titans that the our, our main character Perseus goes up against technically is not just the Kraken, but is like all the kind of foes he fights along the way. But this movie, I think, really does focus on the Kraken as, you know, the eventual end boss of the film, as opposed to a Jason and the Argonauts, where the the monsters just kind of come up like as part of the adventure. And uh, we actually have another movie that's going to be on our list in the 90s, which is kind of similar. It is a Japanese film, so there's probably a lot more connections to, of course, kaiju cinema. But that would be, I think, 1994's uh, Orochi, the Eight-Headed Dragon. Hmm. And, I mean, that one is named after the the monster in the film. But it is a a, a, a also a, a classic kind of fantasy kaiju film. Oh. I mean, what a revelation, uh, a movie named after the title creature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this one is kind of too. Like I said, the, the Kraken I, is a Titan. Sure. Even though in Greek mythology, I'm, I'm sure, you know, my miles, the, the Titans were like a race of people before the gods. The gods. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were the basically the proto father of the gods, essentially yeah. the parents, of the gods. Yeah, so you said it's been a while since you've seen this movie. Yeah, uh, it's it's been a it's been a long time since I've. I mean, I must. I, it's probably been since I was in grade school since I've seen this movie. I I've watched the sequel or remake uh, a, a good deal more, I think, or more recently. But they they, they play out very differently. So <laughs> in this is, movie, is the Rock in that or is that Hercules? No, it's Sam Worthington as Perseus. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? I can totally see that. Yeah, it's 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 not that bad. I've not seen the sequel, Wrath of the Titans, but I'm excited to Which, do it for the podcast. I know what Ron is, but like that's a great title, <laughs> Wrath of the Titans. I love it. So yeah, it had been a long time since I had seen this movie, and I think what kind of has that took me aback was, despite how fantastic, and I I do mean especially in, at, at this time, the special effects in the movie are pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. This movie's stuffy. <laughs> 
it is a just maybe a bit too long. There's like it, it, so it, many moving parts, so many characters, and it like minor definitely characters. Definitely drags. I mean, this is I think this is the lo- longest movie we've watched so far. This is this closes in almost on almost two hours. I think it's like a few minutes shy of two hours. The longest we've watched so far. I think so. I don't know if we've watched anything at two hours. Have we? How long was King Kong? <laughs> that movie felt very long. It felt very long, but I, I mean, a lot of those stuff that the stuff that we've been watching was like an hour long, maybe an hour twenty. No. The like I was ninety say, minutes is still pushing. Like, King the, Kong the, is two hours and fourteen minutes. So the original uh, is. No, 76, 1976. Oh, I, th- that's right. The I forgot about 76. <laughs> that movie, yeah. And and this one, I think, probably could have used a good 20 minutes. Some some shaving, shaving. for sure. But there's a little, that, a close that, and there's a There's a whole, this element of, I guess, British theater or something. There, there's this mm-hmm. extra little, like, oh, this guy's clearly playing the hero because of how he talks. And, oh, like, it's almost like, the parodies that we hear now, like Zat Brannigan and stuff, but like for real. Well, you're talking, of course, about Harry Hamlin, who yes, <laughs> who plays Perseus in the film. Uh, emphasis, emphasis on the ham. He is. It's one of his first it's, roles. Yeah, I and it's think. not just him. It's it's the role as written. I mean, this guy has gone on to do like Mad Men and received an Emmy nomination. Like he's he's a good actor. I really only knew him from Veronica Mars, season one of Veronica yeah. Mars. Yeah, that was that was a big one. Yeah, th- technically this is his second movie, but this is like his first huge, huge role in in Hollywood. That very similar to, of course, Jessica Lane in oh, in nineteen seventy six is King Kong. Yeah, this is definitely a, a breakout role for for Harry Hamlin. And like you said, there's there's a, there's a lot of stuffy British actors in, yeah, uh, I mean, it just, in, it, in it, very it, small it, roles, some of them, but Lawrence Olivier plays Zeus in the film. Lawrence Olivier plays Zeus, but I gotta say, mm-hmm. and part of it's the writing for Zeus. I think he's leaning into how this character is written. They <laughs> they write Zeus kind of wacky and, and and keyed in with that, with the performance by Olivier. Like, he plays him almost like like, do you remember the Batman villain Maxi Zeus, the the yeah. guy that believed he was Zeus? That's who I. That's who I'm picturing. Oh yeah, right very, now. very over the top. Yes. Suppos- supposedly, Lawrence Olivier was deathly sick most of the the. It was a very short filming for the the gods. You know, they did all this so stuff. Possibly heavily medicated because boy, how did that performance feel? Like someone was like a little loopy on something. <laughs> yeah, he was acting like let's get this over with. <laughs> <laughs> also, get a. I, I think it's the first time I remember seeing a young Maggie Smith. As Thetis? Ma- yep, Maggie Smith is in the film. They they really splurged because it was such a short shoot schedule for the gods on some some pretty big names. Um we also get we got we also got the penguin. <laughs> yeah, what's his name? Burgess Meredith. Yeah, he he, he plays uh well he's not a god. He's not a god. He he, he he's great as uh Amon in yeah. the film. H- Harry Hamlin's role, just like Jessica Lang's in in King Kong was bandied about to a bunch of actors as potential leads. Malcolm McDowell was up for it at one point, Richard Chamberlain, and a very young Arnold Schwarzenegger as well, who of probably obviously hot off of like Conan and stuff. Oh no, this is before Conan. Uh, is this it? Is, 
This is 81. So yeah, it's uh, right before, but for for some reason I thought Conan was the 70s. No, no. But uh, the same thing, you know, as Conan, they were worried that he was not going to be able to bring a movie uh, (laughs) where it's very dialogue heavy for, for Perseus. Bring, bring that to his best in life. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, they also didn't want like a huge bodybuilder. Harry Hamlin is obviously kind of a, a light he's figure. pretty built though um, like hamlin's got some muscle tone on him i would have loved to see malcolm mcdowell yeah you know i don't really n- know what he uh what he was doing like in the 80s i can't think of a, a role that early for him but I, i'm sure he, he would have been great as well i mean but, um yeah conan, conan uh the barbarian came out a year I after i can't this. think of a role that early it was the oh gosh the, yeah. orange yeah, that that that's the the only one. But yeah, that, that when, when was that in the seventies? Uh, uh, that's the only Orange one I can think was, of. Was was six uh, seventy one seventy one. All right, so yeah, that's ten years. Well, I don't, Prior. Know, I, I don't know what he was doing in the eighties, but I'm sure he would have been perfectly fine. Maybe maybe too expensive. Maybe that's why they didn't go with him. But possibly the only thing I can think that he was in was Cat People. I know I know he's in other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a very very well worn actor, but I just remember him in Cat People. This movie um, is, of course, based on a lot of Greek mythology, the tale, the actual, you know, myth of Perseus. And he is pretty much known as a mythological monster slayer well before Hercules. And, of course, best known for slaying the Gorgon. But <laughs> in this movie, that is just a stepping stone to taking out the the Kraken. But sadly, uh, Krakens are not really in Greek mythology. This is right. a uh, like, like a few things in this this movie, kind of a uh, invention for for the film. There were sea monsters in, in Greek myth. Most of them were um, like giant whales and something akin to a giant octopus like the Kraken or a monster like that is it's more Icelandic right. or Scandinavian in origin. So it's, it's kind of borrowed, <laughs> but the same way the character of Calabos, I could, I mean, I would have sworn up and down that feels so much like an actual Greek monster. And cause it kind of mimics the story of the Minotaur in, in some ways, but yeah, the, the, I would say probably like one of the main villains. Of, I, I'm, I'm going to I'm not, I'm going to be real. I I was like, I, and I know it's a Shakespearean thing, but I thought Shakespeare borrowed, borrowed it from something else. I, I kept expecting them to call him Caliban. Yeah. Like the Caliban, Calabos, very, very close. It was really bothering me. <laughs> but yeah, that's um, it is. It feels like fairy tale stuff. It feels like mytho- mythological stuff. But I, I will say, I just I think the Gorgon part of the movie is just like so well done. It's um, special effects that, you know, obviously don't hold up completely for, for the modern era. Cause it's stop motion, but for the time, I got to say this probably blows out a lot of special effects um, that are, that are happening in the 1980s. Oh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really, really good looking film um, for stop motion. Like do you remember the stop motion in the star Wars movies. It, Looks very janky. <laughs> it looked janky then. It I mean, janky now. The, the the rancor looks pretty great. I'm thinking of the um the tauntauns on Hoth. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> Do mean, you remember I that? Still, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the the idea for this film, and you know, people did give 
this movie some guff for the <laughs> the golden owl being very similar to R2-T2, like I said earlier. But supposedly this film was, was written uh, even before Star Wars came out. It, it started with the... Yeah, about a few thousand years beforehand. <laughs> well, just the, the, the characters <laughs> and plot that I, I know. I know. I'm just being a pest. Beverly Cross, the scriptwriter, playwright, gave an interview in Cinema Fantastique magazine saying that... That's a name I haven't heard in a while. Yeah, yeah. It's actually on Internet Archive if you want to read this interview. But he was living in Greece in 1969 and started writing elements of the story, this sword and sandal kind of tale back then. And then pre-production and the initial funding and meetings for the film... Started as early as 1975, which is pretty crazy to think about. This is a couple years before Star Wars. And then they they began shooting like in early 1979. So a couple years before the movie would would come out. And it's pretty crazy, you know, that it took so long to to pull this together. But you think about how much stop motion is in the film and how long that takes. And the, the way that they were doing this. They needed, I think, that footage of like mm-hmm. them fighting the monsters first to be able to go in and, and do the the stop motion afterwards. So, I mean, it's kind of the same way that CGI is is done today. Right. But they, they filmed in England. They filmed in Spain. And, of course, in uh, Malta, The I guess the climax of the movie takes place at the Azure Needle Beach where you got the overarching kind of stone like keyhole right on the beach there. So they, I mean, there's a lot of money thrown <laughs> into this, this film. And yeah. Uh, and I mean, it, it also, it, it feels like it, it feels like money's being spent and it's not just your monster effects. I mean, the disaster effects are just honestly, I was impressed. Like yeah, from a and, modern standpoint, I was like, this, this, this looks phenomenal. I forget the, the the Greek city that's destroyed in in the first like uh, few minutes of the uh, Ar- Ar- Argos. Something some, some like that. Yes, I'm pretty sure you're you're correct. After you know the 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 gods, uh, Zeus is angry at them for trying to kill his uh, <laughs> probably unwilling bride. <laughs> yeah, uh, knowing um, Zeus, but I also could have could have done without the golden shower. Yeah, imagery in my head. Or Argos is destroyed in a a kaiju destruction scene, but also kind of like a natural disaster destruction scene because there's like there's waves and there's all kinds of stuff. It it really does feel like they are looking to the special effects of mm-hmm. Japan, especially in in these kaiju films for for that sequence, and it's it's great. It, it really that part really holds up. And I was surprised because I didn't remember that from <laughs> when I watched this film, probably like 20 something odd years ago. But it is is fairly early and, and the rest of the movie does plot on a good deal without a similar kind of destruction because the, the Kraken is used as not a MacGuffin, but as a a it, call to action for the hero to. Yeah, it's a looming threat, I yeah. guess. And. It's the quest, you know, to, yeah, to finally it's beat certain, the Kraken. It's so, the quest because it's like, oh, you've got to defeat the Kraken. But before you got to beat the Kraken, you got to do all this nonsense. They set up how dangerous it is at the very beginning. Unfortunately, you don't have like a huge accent action sequence at the end 
with Perseus versus the Kraken. I believe they go a little harder in that direction in the 2010 film, but Which, <laughs> the, I mean, they one. should. I mean, yeah. you know you're, what? You're, you're pretty limited with the the stop motion animation I, I, for that I kind of I wonder how much RPGs in general, both tabletop and, and video games, have mm-hmm. taken from the the template set forth by Greek myths, where it's like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, this is your mission, but you gotta all do all the side crap first. Oh yeah, like, y- yeah, oh, you gotta take this magic yeah, go, bag go of beans. kill ten boars, and then <laughs> oh, we'll cook it up, and then go see these three witches, and and they'll give you the key to do this thing, and then you gotta kill this thing so that you can fight this thing. I mean, it's. It's kind of funny because I mean the myths are like that too. Like it's 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 a whole laundry list of things you have to do. Mm-hmm. Th- this movie's special effects are pretty amazing. The, the the official budget I think didn't cross fifteen million or so in, in most that's estimations. Wild. I mean, uh, that's yeah, what, thirty well, million now. I mean, King Kong was twenty four million just a couple years prior, and I I mean. That this seems to have as many like location shots and kind of special effects sequences. And when you take into account like how expensive that stop motion is and how laborious it is, it's pretty amazing. The mm-hmm. the Kraken, really good, but I really think the the highlight of the stop motion in this film is the Medusa fight. And oh, it's it's fantastic. The, um, the lighting and the, and the 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 way that he interacts with her, it's it's great. I mean, they also do a really good job of marrying this stop motion stuff with the live action going on. Yeah. And that that's the most impressive. And, and it also does show off like Hamlin's acting and stuff to like who's basically acting to what seems to like be nothing. And mm-hmm. it's working. I mean, that sequence is incredible. I mean, because no, one, I, I think the artistry, it's not been lost because we still have uh, Leica Studios doing the Lord's work with stop motion. Mm-hmm. And continuing that legacy, but I, I think that the art of stop motion has been sorely overlooked due to you know obviously we have CGI and 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 everything. But we are we are going to see some more stop motion in the nineteen oh, eighties, which is which is really interesting. This is kind of the last gasp for it. In but in we we also get some some janky stop motion too. Let's 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 be fair. I think uh, mm. all the stuff with oh gosh, what was the name? That Perseus has to fight in the nightmare realm. Not Calibus. Yeah. Calibus. Uh, I thought all of that looked kind of not great, especially when they keep well, transitioning from the the guy in a suit to the stop motion. It's so funny because it's like, I feel like that th- they made this really great facial prosthetic for mm-hmm. the actor, which they weren't originally going to do, but then they indeed made him stop motion a lot of those fights and it wasn't like he was i feel like they could have just gone with an actor in a costume and and done very well you can't really do with medusa who's got you know a snake body and snake hair and make it look but there wasn't really anything especially amazing about calbos he had a whip i guess did he did he have a tail i forget yeah he has a tail yeah it's just I, i don't think any of that was like Super required because once again, this is a a made up character. (laughs) What one thing I'd like to compare this movie to is I feel there are some some ties between this film and the 
Daimajin series, maybe maybe the first movie in particular, because you get a intro destruction sequence and, and you, you hear about how terrible the monster is. Mm-hmm. But it's not really in the movie until the very end again, you know, both. Yeah, and we, we, we get about we get about 30 seconds of kaiju action here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that this the uh, I mean, Daimajin definitely has a, a I mean, it's only like seven or eight minutes, but a, a, a much larger destruction sequence at the end of all those films. But th- both movies are very much about the struggles of the main characters and kind of like this hero's journey. Um, mm-hmm. the, the first movie, at the very least, of the, the Dimension trilogy. but Yeah, and then we get the creature who I guess was on loan from Universal because it looked like the creature from the Black Lagoon just walked to another set. Well, I mean, the, the facial features of, of the Kraken, for sure, it has some kind of like bulk, it's got a bulkier qualities. build to it and oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, definitely. it certainly looks different but I, my gut reaction was like oh that's the creature that's cool even though it didn't really do anything um yeah they go 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 a little more aquatic looking i think with the 2010 film but it, you very i don't think you you see the entire creature out of the water at any point but it does have like a medusa like fish tail but it it always looks like it's kind of just standing upright, like right a human <laughs> with these four arms and 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 it, it is interesting design wise because like I said, it is something that is fully created for this film, even if it's borrowed elements from 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 here and there. I put the uh, <laughs> in our our show notes the the line of. Mattel toys that they made for this film, trying to trying to cash in on that that Star Wars money for sure. And the I mean, the franchise you can't, you can't blame them for trying. And I mean, this this movie was, I mean, this is but a- I just I want to give them uh, full credit for making a you know not scale in any way, shape, or form, but a Kraken toy that is like four times the height of Perseus. You know, yeah, no, I'm 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 excited that they did stuff like that. I mean, this and this movie was a massive hit. Yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, it made seventy million dollars. Yeah, like I said, I'm I'm pretty sure. I think Conan did more with a with less budget a year. I'm later sure it did, so. but I mean, that's still it still makes it one of 1981's biggest movies. Oh yes, yeah. I I think it was beat out by a couple of things. Did I, I mean, read Raiders of the Lost Ark? Oh yeah. <laughs> It opened the same weekend as Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, you know, th- th- errors were made with the release of this film. I mean, I well, I can't say that they should have known because Steven Spielberg, you know, and Lawrence Kasdan like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, um, did, they did pretty well. I was about to say Conan actually did only slightly more, but it actually had a larger budget, which budget. is. Yeah. Surprising. I mean, I, Clash Clash was a big hit for what it was, especially yeah. where when when. You have, I mean, I don't know how much interest, I mean, there is more interest in, in fantasy in general around this time, because you got a lot of stuff coming out in this, in this plus or minus 10 years, Beastmaster and Dungeon Master, all all these Dragon Slayer, all this stuff that's coming out, Conan, Red Sonja. This is the tip of the spear, I think, for those 1980s fantasy films. Oh, for sure. Was this, I guess this is right before Lady Hawk, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. There was talk 
they shopped around a sequel idea in 1984, but you know, I mean, it, it is a very pricey <laughs> film that they're, they're trying to make. And I, I think at that point, maybe it was kind of starting to die off a little bit. And once again, you have the rise of super cheap films as entertainment mm-hmm. and in the horror world. In well, yeah, the direct video boom mm-hmm. was starting to happen. And I mean, they eventually got the sequel made <laughs> after <laughs> well, yeah. the 3D remake came a out. A remake and a sequel. Yeah, of course, the, the 2010 remake is kind um, of in the same boat. They, that, that is a time period of American filmmaking where any like 150 or 100 to 150 million dollar huge spectacle film, you'd be able to find the money for it. In, uh, right. In the, um, in the cinema. And- here, here's a wild tidbit that I, I don't think I, I knew at the time. Mm-hmm. Harry Hamlin did play Perseus again in the video game God of War Two. Yeah, you know, I saw that, and that's that's such an interesting pull. You know? Yeah, well, because uh, you got to you got to think that that like Barlog and all the guys behind the God of War franchise, mm-hmm. lot, lot, lot to owed to this yeah we're certainly i mean as much as greek stuff is is in the in that first bit of the the franchise now it's more norse that's that's what i want to watch is harry hamlin jumping off pegasus and and like getting taking taking a blade down the side (laughs) of the kraken and yeah just (laughs) just absolutely making the kraken uh into mincemeat at at the time this movie was well liked by critics uh, Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars, which is pretty, pretty high praise. He said it was a very family fun film. And besides Bubo, he mostly praised as the real star of the film, Ray Harryhausen and his special effects work, which, you know, that's I would agree with that because I understand the what they're trying to do with Bubo, but um, <laughs> it didn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Bubo. <laughs> Uh, well, I also like I, I'm, I might have I must have walked to the fridge to get a drink or something. But I, I thought that like when they made Bubo, because like she wasn't uh, gonna give Persis Ar- Artemis, her, yeah, wasn't Artemis wasn't gonna her. give Persis her owl. But mm-hmm. I thought she was like making it with the intention to like sabotage Perseus. <laughs> no, Bubo's a a, a real G. He's no, 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 no. He clearly is, but for some reason, the entire time I'm like kind of squinting. I'm like, all right, when's he gonna? When's he gonna show his real his real feathers? <laughs> he's, um, definitely, he's definitely just a droid, though. <laughs> yeah, no, so he's a hundred percent a a little R two D two. I yeah, we we gotta get to rating this film, Miles. Yeah, I, I, I want to talk think. about this. Like, all right, my my, mm, I I feel really bad with feel bad for what I'm speak your mind. I, I do think this movie is a bit droll. I think mm-hmm. it it wanders around much like Perseus a little too much. I think that some of the the kind of British theater acting doesn't work for this movie. And I understand that that was a standard at the time for certain things, especially for epics. It just it's not something that's ever really worked for me. And it did impede my enjoyment of my personal enjoyment of this movie. That said. I think it is a great adaptation of some wonderful stories. I think that the special effects are, I mean, even, even now, like again, the city destruction sequence at the beginning is incredible. 
it is even by today's standards looks fantastic seeing all the flooding stuff and even though you can see some of the seams of like where they're cutting things like i it feels less of like oh that looks cheap and more, less uh, and more like oh that's cool that they did that mm-hmm. and there there is such a i think the making the physical making of the movie itself is a love letter to the story that they're telling and that's very evident but I, I do find the Kraken itself a little lackluster. I'm I'm used to Krakens being referred to as you know gi- giant squids or octopi and being you know that kind of Kraken. Mm-hmm. And getting getting a creature from the Black Lagoon type was a choice, and it, it not a bad one. But like I half as a man, kaiju half film, fish. <laughs> yeah, as a kaiju, honestly, I don't I don't consider this a kaiju film. I I would consider this kaiju adjacent. Eh. But I do think it's it's certainly worth your time. But I, I would go seven out of ten. I think it's a mm-hmm. good movie. I think the special effects are incredible, but my enjoyment is really tempered by how droll everything is. Yeah, yeah. It, it, the The comic relief in the film is Burgess Meredith, and it is so few and far between that he gets to kind of crack wise and. And 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 it, it's just so funny. This movie, just, of course, I just wanted to go. Today, wah, 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 wah. There's like a, a million times more levity if if this was remade today, because like, well, like I, I said, it's pretty pretty dry. And honestly, Philia Purchase Meredith is like I think Disney figured out the the formula when they made Hercules and they had the Jason Alexander character. Like um, that might be taking a just a step too far. <laughs> I'm not as... saying being a cartoon like that, but like <laughs> just be a little bit more lively because I love the character and he's very good and he's so good. But well, I, you this... got Burgess Meredith, let him do things. It's so funny. Like looking back on it, it's like this was family friendly fun in the 1980s, and they wanted to set it apart from the more adult sword and sandal adventure films of the 50s the 60s but this movie has full frontal nudity has impalings has like people being whipped and (laughs) and tortured and all kinds of terrible things i I will say that the i I will i will at least say this the the nudity is very non-sexual though yeah i mean but it is i mean just still kind of like jarring it's like oh wow there's like families taking kids to this movie in 1981 but yeah i remember just like how in, in, yeah, in but general. like it, I think I think context is everything. I think something like that, like some, like, I'm sure some people will be upset by it. But I mean, <laughs> well, I remember. I, I, I'm uh, certainly not seeing any any footnote of like you know parents were so mad. You know, no. I, I I mean I'm sure it's in the parental advisory guide. I I remember the um the the seventies Romeo and Juliet being shown in high school when I was a kid. I was like, they're just nudity in this film. Is that just okay? <laughs> in in the in the I mean, this is a time made. period when the Blue Lagoon was made. So let's yeah, you know. exactly. <laughs> I think this movie does look great for it's now over forty years old, and I, I had a very good time watching this since I was a kid. It is definitely drags on parts and. um knocking some points off for that but as like an adventure story 80s fantasy adventure story i'm i give this pretty high marks i thought it was very good so i'm giving an 8 out of 10 i'm also giving an 8 out of 10 for the technical aspect of the movie and i think this movie does something kind of special that we don't get in in kaiju cinema normally which is all these harry housing 
kind of well-crafted stop motion segments. This is him at like the very apex of his career and not phoning it in at all. It, it's him really loving his, his work, not rushed or underpaid like he was in the fifties mm-hmm. and in sixties and kind of cranking out monster movies <laughs> left and right. We, we, we talked about, gosh, what, what was the, the one he did after beast from, from 20,000 fathoms. Oh, it came from beneath the sea. Mm-hmm. The the octopus with only five arms because of the budget. <laughs> but this is him. He's got the budget. He's got the time, you know, years to to make his special effects. And it really does hold up as, as far as the those stop motion segments go. But besides that, like just the special effects in general, the 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 blue screens or whatever they use to kind of like superimpose. It's all done very well. They were trying to avoid the equivalent of a mythological spaghetti Western, you know, that make this movie kind of set itself apart. And I I think they mostly succeeded, maybe failed in the script and the delivery of some of this ancient sounding (laughs) Shakespearean Mm -hmm. dialogue. But yeah, for the most part, I thought the the technical aspects are why you're probably going to go see this movie. So. A hundred percent. What about and you? I'm, honestly, I am a, I am a hundred percent with you. I would also give it eight out of 10 for the technical aspect. I think that while some stuff doesn't look amazing, hmm. the, like you said, Harryhausen's uh, stop motion creatures are phenomenal. There is some, I'm, we've, we've beaten it over the head. The, the opening sequence of the destruction, destruction of the city is, I mean, just breathtaking. It's, it's incredible what they were able to pull off. And, yeah, the script is a little weak. And I, I was hoping we'd get some more of that, like interspersed throughout the film. Yeah, like I was really wanting a little bit outie. more of that. Like, give us, give us this kind of uh, scale that you're promising. It gets really bogged down in this script and this and and the characters that they kind of haven't really fleshed out. And then you you've got these actors. I understand Olivier was its own thing, but you've got so many incredible actors that are there. And they, I mean, they're performing well with what they're given, but you got to let these guys do something. I mean, you got uh, Maggie Smith and she does almost nothing Ur- the entire Ursula, time. Ursula Andress, who was, you know, a Bond girl, plays Aphrodite and has like two lines in the movie. Yeah, but nothing you know, got, got got to collect that paycheck and also was like on the poster <laughs> like a, it was like a title name right. on the poster so which is there hilarious. is so much of of the technical aspect of this movie that is fantastic but there's enough to kind of weigh it down where like i think this is a great film technically in terms of mm-hmm. special effects and like like you said harryhausen at the apex but i wish everything else was as good because you could have had something really special but I, I still would give it an eight. I, th- I think that what what's done well is done really well. What about the evocative nature of the film where it stands as a piece of art in kaiju cinema? So I'm torn here because, mm-hmm. I mean, this movie is very culturally significant in the West. It it sets a lot of standards for it certainly influences a lot of creators that we have making films today. But as I said earlier in the episode, I do feel like this is more kaiju adjacent. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't feel like it's really a kaiju film, but it's it's hard to argue with its significance. So I'm I'm really torn here because I I I initially was going to give this a nine, and the the more oh, wow. 
yeah, I mean, this is a very significant film. Like in terms of of Western special effects films, like this is one of the top ones. But the more I think about it in 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 context with with kaiju cinema and its its evocative nature as a piece of art, I'm actually going to knock it quite a bit and give it a seven. Okay, yeah, well, that that's where I've landed as well. A seven out of ten for for its evocative nature. I I feel like. As far as special effects go, I mean, this is we are going to see some more stop motion, but I feel like this is kind of the end of the line of the journey that started in 1933 with the special effects for for King Kong. Even before that, in in some of the special effects films and dinosaurs and whatnot before then. Mm -hmm. But this is a, a capstone of about 50 years of that kind of special effects, which we primarily saw in the films of the 1950s for better or for worse. But, you know, it really only died out because of the expense. And it is really nice to see that expense not become an issue for at least a few films before it gets phased out and turns into CGI in the, the late nineties, early two thousands. It, yeah. It's nice, nice to have this as yeah, a little, little capstone for Willis O'Brien's King Kong work. Um, yeah. So I'm knocking some points off here because I do like the Kraken personally. And the, the beginning of the movie is amazing for, for setting up him as a, a villain, but needed a lot more Kraken in this, this movie, despite its importance to the plot just having the bookends of the Kraken, not not nearly enough. And I think it's going to be a little different in the 2010 remake, but it's been a while since I've seen it. It's probably been you know 13 years since I've seen it, so I'm not sure that that'll that will change in in that movie. But that one, yeah, I, at least, yeah, I know it uh, has a, a crazier kind of explosive battle at the end with with Perseus and the Pegasus and 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 what have you. So Miles. We we don't have the same scoring on this. I'm just, I think, a little bit higher than you. Which, I mean, that that tracks. But I, I think we kind of feel very similarly about the film. Yes. I My, my final score is a 7.6 and yours a 7.3, which means uh, we, we are knocking it down because it's right there in the middle to a 7 out of 10 for the, the podcast final score. And that's typically I'm how happy it with goes. That. Yeah, I think, you know, it, it could have gone either way. I think as far as these these fantasy kaiju films go, I mean, I, I don't think anything is going to top the first Daimajin anytime soon. And I think the score reflects that. But yeah, seven out of ten for for Clash of the Titans. Uh, that that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, if if you have questions or comments or concerns, uh, you can email us at kaiju versus history at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at kaiju versus history. And if you want to go online, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now and rate our show or comment there, share it with your friends. That is appreciative. That's how people kind of find these things. And if you want to look at our past review scores in a five-star format check out our letterbox account at kaiju versus history on letterboxd miles what are we what are we getting up to next week 
All right. So next week, we look at a Super Raya compilation film that throws pseudimation, animation, and miniature prowess together for the kids. It's the kids show to end all kids shows. Next week, tune in for History versus Attack of the Super Monsters. 